Okay, church, as we head back to our seats, may we ready our hearts to receive our teaching text for this morning before Christine comes up to teach us today. Our text this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. Begins this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a mirror and after looking at themselves go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. So on my drive over here today, uh, there was Christmas music on. What are the stations? It's like, what is happening? Oh, but as we move toward November, I have to say that I have started thinking about, like, where is my windshield scraper? Have any of you started looking for this, starting to figure out what hats and mittens fit, what snow pants are too short for your children? This is also the time of year where we talk around here about bundling up Burton Elementary School kiddos. Um, for over a decade, the Marshall community has been providing coats and mittens and hats to about 450 elementary school kiddos at Burton Elementary School right down the street, believing that a parent shouldn't have to choose between buying diapers for one child and winter gear in pure Michigan for another. Um, so this year, it, it, it's that time of year again. We are actually going to change it up just a little bit. So we're partnering with an organization this year called Coats for Kids, and this is a local organization it stocks up on quality coats at the end of season sales for an average of just like 15 or $20 a coat. And so what we're asking us to do, I did that math and I was like, gosh, if we do it this way, listen to this. We're asking us to, instead of spending about $20,000 on coats like we normally do, we'd spend about $8,000 on coats if we do this. If we could have people here donate not a coat, but $20 toward the cost of a coat. 
Um, if you already purchased a coat, that's great. We will take them and we will distribute them. So we're asking for donations between now and November 8 for the cost of a coat, as well as we do need physical um, mittens and hats. And so all these things can be dropped off in our south hallway, Monday through Fridays, um, now through November 8, as well as Sunday mornings. And donations can be made online. So everything you need to know here is at marshill.org slash events. So you got a couple weeks. Hopefully the snow holds out until then, but we've been doing this and we can keep on doing it. I'm excited about it. I'd like to start, yeah, we can give us some props to that. I'd like to start out today uh, with a personal confession that I think is pertinent to our topic today. I um, would describe myself as an empathic fixer an empathic fixer. If you meet me, you will know that I feel deeply. I can sit with you in pain. I can handle any confession you throw at me. And I'm open to hearing just about any problem you have. And lucky you, I'm also happy to fix you or your problem. Oh, yes. My second confession is that I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm pretty sure I'm right. I can lean towards self-righteousness, thinking that my view of the world or the person or the thing or the theology or the assessment of situation is correct. And I tell you this not to make this my personal confessional, but because I'm pretty sure that I'm not alone in any one of those things. And because of the Those kinds of postures and attitudes inside me impact the way I show up for the sake of the world. The inner game affects the outer game. The inner game affects the outer game. We're in the middle or a few weeks into what we are calling our Steadfast series, which is eight weeks of our mission and vision, revisiting those. And our vision statement is to be a Jesus people for the sake of the world. And Troy teed us up so well last week as we began talking about what does it mean to be for the sake of the world. And reminding us that we can't, like I just said, we can't get out there right in the world if we can't get in here right. And actually, if we can't get in here right. We can't get out there right if we can't get in here right. In other words, in order to effectively be a people who work for the sake of the world, we need to continually check ourselves internally. We look, we're looking at the book of James, which although it was written in the first century, has some real similarities to our culture. There's a church here that is scattered geographically. Try to imagine this. Scattered geographically who were living in a society where there were social and economic tensions, some of which were leading to violence. And the whole book of James was calling followers of Jesus to respond not only with faith, but with action. How needed are those things today? James chapter 1 that that Ashley read gets at this kind of both-and nature of our faith With James 1 from last week, verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry as our focus and and really 
um, reflecting on ourselves and, and showing up those ways. But James goes on in this next section to say, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And he goes so far as to say, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after the widow and the orphan in their distress and keep oneself from becoming polluted by the world. James says, you know what, it's time for action. It's time for action, for living out your faith. And the action he talks about here is looking after the widow and the orphan. The widow and the orphan here represents those in society who are the most under-resourced, the most crushed down, the most pressed in the margin, the most depressed. That's who he's talking about here. And I think you could probably imagine in your mind's eye who those people are in our society today. And there's references to caring for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner and the poor all throughout Scripture. Clearly, these are the people that are near to the heart of God. And God says, look after them. But what does that mean? What does that look like today to look after I'd like to look to the rest of some of the scripture to, to have some reference to those on the margins. And again, you can, you, this is a cursory, cursory look. Psalm 82, give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Watch these verbs. Rescue the weak. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Zechariah 9, Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion. Do not oppress. Isaiah 1, seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the widow and the fatherless. Plead the case. And Jesus, over and over in the New Testament, says he's about justice for the poor. Liberation for those who are oppressed. Clearly, justice is a common theme throughout our Old and New Testament scripture. I think we all have this sort of innate sense of justice, even from a really young age. You go to any playground for long, and what do you hear after a little while? That's not fair. That's not fair. Something needs to be done. You go to a playground, you watch the news, you can feel that sense, right? It's a tangible feeling of that's not right. Someone needs to do something about that. And James is calling us to action. And I wonder here, what are those things for you? What are those things for you that make you say, that's not right? Somebody needs to do something about that. And I would ask you to call upon that as we sit and talk a little bit more today and as you leave here, because the passions you have are not the passions I have. The gifts you have are not the gifts I have. We need all of us to be for the sake of the world. So bear those things in mind as we continue. Now, biblical justice or God's justice is really rooted in two main things. The first one is who God is. Our God is a just God. God in God's own character is just. God can't not be just. And this was so different than the ancient Near East uh, kings who also were called to maintain justice, 
but they weren't just in their very fiber of their being. Okay, this is the God that we serve. But God's justice is also rooted in who we are, in who God created us to be. God created us as divine image bearers, full of divine DNA, beautiful, full of dignity and respect, and worthy of love and belonging, with gifts and skills to bring to the world, to show everybody else more of what God was like. And this is what justice is rooted in. And I would suggest to you that so much injustice today is actually when we forget about this. How much easier it is to, to lock somebody up and throw away the key when we forget that they are made in the image of God and filled with divine potential and DNA. How much easier it is to do when we're like, well, they're really their worst sin and offense not worthy of the kind of love and belonging and dignity and rights and redemption that the rest of us are. So friends, when God's people, all of God's people are not flourishing, when there is a block to that, when there is injustice, the rest of us need to say no more. And not just in like feel it in our bones kind of a way, but like actionably say no more. So when that kid at school or online is bullied, we say no more. When that coworker is treated unfairly, we step in and we say no more. When that child at the border is locked up, we say no more. This is what it means to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, Micah 6.8. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Here's what it doesn't mean. It's not just being kind or charitable to somebody else, experiencing injustice. Justice is not kindness, but it might include kindness. Justice is not charity, but it might include charity. It's not the same as reconciliation. Some would say it's hard to have true reconciliation without first making the injustice right. Injustice is actively working to make things right. Justice is actively working to make things right. This is part of what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. When I think about how to do this, how to work for justice, I think about getting to the cause of the issue and not just the issue itself. I think of looking not just at the, the fruit of the tree, that thing I can see as the injustice, but I want to look at the roots of the tree. What is causing the injustice? Bishop Desmond Tutu has this quote. He says, there comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river and we need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. And what can we do about that? I have found the posture and practice of curiosity actually to be really helpful in my justice work. Asking questions like, what is the thing behind the thing behind the thing? when it comes to this injustice. I like to ask five whys right in a row. Well, why is that the case? 
Let's see what the answer is there. Well, uh, well, 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 why is that the case? Uh, well, why is that the And just kind of keep digging and digging and digging to try to get at those roots. When we're talking about looking after the oppressed, specifically, I think of Isaiah 117, which talks about seeking justice, defending the cause, pleading the case. Look at those words. They remind me of a careful attorney examining every nook and cranny of an issue in order to bring justice. Complex problems and issues rarely have easy answers, friends. So we're going to need to dig in deep, like any good attorney seeking to work for justice. So again, what are those things in your own life that make you say, that's not fair, that's not right, something needs to be done? At school, maybe you noticed or that there are certain groups of people that not, are not being considered or included or that are actively being silenced or dismissed. When I look at these words of Isaiah, I wonder how can you help defend the cause of those being marginalized? Maybe there's a pattern you notice at work where, where someone in your organization is not getting equal pay or a flexible schedule or opportunities or even access to appropriate COVID safety gear. How do you defend their cause? Maybe your heart breaks for the staggering number of abortions each year and you long to get at the root. Maybe you look at the laws. Oftentimes justice work is going to have you looking at policies and procedures and who's in power and what's the impact of those. What else? I think of the sweet mamas. And I wonder, did they have access to health care, healthy food, employment options that pay a living wage, health insurance? Or if those things are in place, was there a supportive community, a church family even, that would support them? What are the barriers? What can you do about those when you're looking at getting at the roots of an issue? Just an example from Mars Hill's outreach ministries and, and a little bit of an example from my own life. As, as I mentioned, we've been supporting Burton Elementary students for years and years and years. And, and my own passion point is, point is under-resourced children and kids who can't reach their full, full potential. It's not right. Like, I, I get real fired up about it. And coats and mentors are an excellent starting point here, but I had to keep asking and digging more. What else? What is the root? What can we do? I started learning about our educational system and the school-to-prison pipeline, which disproportionately affects kids of color. My daughter was in third grade last year, and there are some new State of Michigan reading laws for third graders that were really concerning to me in the ways that they were gonna impact those in under-resourced communities. And so while she's fine reader, I knew that there was kids who was gonna be seriously affected by this. So I started researching, I started going to board meetings and making myself known. I started asking questions, I started calling my senators. Not for my kid, but for all the other kids. This is part of what it means 
to help defend the cause. I learned just recently that there was a whole bunch of people in the neighborhood of Burton Elementary School that hadn't filled out the 2020 census. That leaves $18,000 per person in a household on the table. That is not being accessed. $500 million that was not going to get to come to the infrastructure of our community because those were not, that didn't happen. So I helped canvas and go door to door and knock on doors, help people fill out the census. I tell you all this not to toot my own horn, but to say justice work is work. It's work. It's complex. It takes action. But I think again, back to James, James 2, just right after this passage from today, James 2, 14 to 17 says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save him? Now, imagine, imagine this in your mind's eye. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, very sincerely, mind you, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Let's take this one step further. I'm going to call this the justice standard version, but I couldn't help but think of this as I was thinking about the work of justice. I made this up, but I think you get the point. Suppose a brother or sister is being marginalized and oppressed in our society. If one of you says to them, go, here's a new coat and hat, but doesn't uproot the injustice, What good is it? You might be feeling some feelings right now and thinking some things. And I'm just going to ask us to take a collective deep breath because this is where we need to go back to introspection. This constant balance of the inner game and the outer game, and the inner game and the outer game. The confession and introspection and reflection and the action, over and over and over again. Oftentimes, this type of work can cause a lot of fight or flight, where you're either like paralyzed and on the floor in a fetal position, overwhelmed, or you got your boxing gloves and are ready to go. And those can be reactions, and what we want is a really thoughtful and spirit-led response. So we need this kind of introspection. When you get more clear on what is yours to do, on those things that make your blood boil, that you have some skills and gifts, or at least a little chutzpah around, This is when I think you probably know and feel that you need wisdom and strength and humility. Here's one more caution I would offer as we seek to be for the sake of the world. Even just think about this concept of being for the sake of the world, for another person, for an issue, for the marginalized. How easy it is to have this practice this posture that says, I care for you, 
and I'm going to fix you, and I'm going to save you. I don't think I'm the only empathic fixer who thinks she's right in this room. Even with the best of intentions, And I would submit to us this morning this principle, which I think is especially important in a culture that can be a little West Michigan nice. Intent does not always equal impact. They're not the same thing. So while you and I might have the best of intentions in our justice work, in our being for the sake of the world. There are times when we cause harm. When we cause harm. More harm and more hurdles and a net deficit. So we have to be really careful and cautious in the way that we show up. There's a quote that I've been wrestling with and letting it interrogate me a little bit. And it actually might ruffle your feathers a little bit too. So uh, remember that part about being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Here it is. White Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney princess theology. As each individual reads scripture, They see themselves as the princess or the hero in every story. They are Esther, never Xerxes or Haman. They are Peter, the rock on whom the church was built. Never Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. They are the woman anointing Jesus, giving her all. Never the Pharisees who were called out for their self-righteousness. They are the Jews escaping slavery, never Egypt, the oppressors. For the citizens of the most powerful country in the world, who enslaved both native and black people, to see itself as Israel and not Egypt when it is studying scripture is a perfect example of Disney princess theology. And it means that as people in power, they have no lens for locating themselves rightly in scripture or society overall. And it has made them blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage issues of power and injustice. It is some very weak Bible work. If you're not familiar with these stories and scenarios in the Bible, it says, I see myself as the hero. Never the villain, villain, never the person who doesn't know what she's talking about or who might be doing some harm, however inadvertently or unintentionally. And again, this matters because even the best of intentions sometimes can cause harm. And so we need to be really careful. And I would offer a few questions of self-reflection when it comes to being for the sake of the world. As I pursue being for the sake of the world, what is my view of myself? Am I the hero, the center, the savior? What is the view of the person I'm caring for? Do I see them as the victim who I'm gonna rescue and save? 
What is my view of my co-laborers? Am I being generous with other ideas and perspectives? Am I prioritizing the voices and solutions and the giftings of those I'm seeking to help? Is there any way that my good intentions have negative impact? Can I confess and repent of those? There's a prayer that I've come back to again and again. I'm going to lead you in in just a moment. But I will remind you that doing justice is not only complex and hard and probably going to cost you something, maybe your time, maybe your energy, maybe your reputation, maybe your community, but it is worth it. This is good news for the poor and the oppressed. And our Jesus gave everything for us through his life and his death. And God, this Jesus, left his spirit to empower us and strengthen us and guide us. Friends, we don't do this on our own strength. We can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. So this prayer is the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. It's called, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. It's from the 12th century. It's still so pertinent. And we'll walk through it today, and if you'd like to do it at home, you can just use this one phrase, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace, or you can even Google the peace prayer. Here's what it says. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, and to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. So let's go back to that first section. I wonder which of these phrases might be speaking to you right now. Let's join in prayer together and reflect. God, are there any areas you are inviting us, individually, collectively, to be an instrument of your peace, to work for justice? God, we ask, what is mine to do what is the area, the thing, the injustice that keeps me awake at night? And then God, are there any ways I need to be humbled? Areas I think I'm right, people I think I'm better at.
And God, will you give me strength? Will you give us strength? God, will you, by your Spirit's power, make us, each and every one of us, instruments of your peace? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.